welcome. This is a Vascular Forum interview. Hello and welcome uh, to one of the first series of interviews we will be conducting. With us today is Professor Janet Powell. She is a professor at the Imperial College of London, working with the Vascular Surgery Research Group. She has over 400 publications and has been one of the lead investigators in numerous landmark trials, including the EVAR1, the EVAR2, and the IMPROVE trials. She has also been involved in the development of various guidelines, specifically the ESVS 2019 AAA guidelines. In the year 2012, she was recognized for her dedication to creating consensus within the medical community and was awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Vascular Society of Great Britain and Ireland. Thank you for joining us here today, Dr. Powell. Thank you, I'm just be talking to you because I think that these podcasts are another great innovation, EJVS Vascular Forum. Thank you. The main scope of this interview is the recent article titled Analysis of the Differences Between the ESVS 2019 and NICE 2020 Guidelines for Abdominal Aortic Aneurysms, authored by yourself, by Anders van Heinem, whose objective was to understand why two recently published guidelines for the diagnosis and management of patients with AAA have discordant recommendations in several key areas. Before jumping into specifics, could you tell us a bit about how the making of these guidelines differed, specifically regarding their primary purpose and overall methodological processes involved, including the grading level of the recommendations? Thank you for that. Let's start with the ESVS guidelines. These focus on best clinical practice without any reference to specific health economy Whereas in contrast, the NICE guidelines focus on identifying and prioritising cost-effective treatments within the United Kingdom. The ESVS guidelines are synthesised by a committee of expert practitioners, whereas the NICE guidelines have a multidisciplinary committee, including nurses, public and patients, and they're supported by professional teams skilled in evidence synthesis For a NICE guideline, the questions are discussed and refined in search for the evidence. Whereas for the ESVS guidelines, a committee decides on the areas, but not the specific questions that need to be addressed in the guidelines prospectively. They only focus on the areas prospectively. Another difference is that the ESVS guidelines use the European Society of Cardiology grading systems, whereas NICE relies more heavily on the more universal grade system. So quite differences in purpose and method. So the selection process for the constituents of the respective committees is substantially different, as you mentioned. Yes, that's correct. For the ESVS guidelines, it's a standing guidelines committee as a component of the ESVS. And this committee appoints the chair of a new guidelines and sometimes the co-chair as well. These then invite a panel of people to work on the guidelines, trying to get some geographical representation across Europe, but these people are invited by the chair. In contrast, for NICE, NICE itself appoints the chair, but then other members are selected by an open recruitment process or by recommendations from stakeholders, but all have to make a formal application to be a member of the guidelines committee. So the selection process is much more open for the NICE guidelines than it is the ESVS guidelines. 
I understand that the committee for the NICE guidelines is all UK-based physicians, or do they also have a geographical distribution as for the... No, I think it's primarily UK-based. Well, thank you very much for that excellent overview of the major differences between both guidelines. In total, the NICE guidelines have included 46 recommendations in contrast to 125 recommendations given by the ESBS guidelines. I think now we can dive a little bit deeper into the fundamental differences regarding the recommendations. So beginning with AAA screening, NICE recommends screening of women over the age of 70 with at least one cardiovascular risk factor associated. However, ESVS does not recommend screening of women. How could we explain this difference? And in your opinion, should we or should we not screen women? NICE seem to consider only aneurysm prevalent in making their recommendation. We know that currently in the UK, aneurysm screening is cost-effective in men. So they took women over 70 to look at because this is where the prevalence of aneurysms is high in women. And they made a direct parallel with screening in men without thinking of any of the potential differences and perhaps potential differences in harms between men and women. They seem to take no cognizance of the fact mortality for elective repairs may be twice as high or more in women than men. And they didn't, surprisingly, do any health economic modelling. Also, they made their recommendations based on literature searches September 2016. These guidelines took much longer to develop than the ESVS guidelines because of controversy. However, after 2016, there was some further interesting research published, which did actually look at the harms as well as the benefits of screening women and did do health economic modelling. And this evidence used by the ESVS guidelines clearly showed that at the moment, screening women on a population basis would not be cost effective. And probably we need to focus on getting better results for aneurysm repair in women before we reconsider screening. That's the reason that the ESVS made their recommendation. And I feel their recommendation is more contemporary than the NICE recommendation. Thank you for that excellent point. All guidelines agree on a 5.5 centimetre threshold for indicating repair of infrarenal AAA. However, as you just mentioned, it is known that the risk of aneurysm rupture and perioperative mortality is greater in women than in men. The ESVS has an additional recommendation regarding optimal diameter treatment threshold for women, and the NICE guidelines make no reference to it. Could you tell us a bit about why this is? Well, to go back to the kind of evidence that NICE particularly value, randomised trial evidence and the synthesis of randomised trials in Cochrane reviews. And despite the fact that very few women were enrolled in the trials that started in the 1990s and 2000s, they decided that men and women could be considered equally. They did not consider a higher risk of rupture of small aneurysms in women, or, as you have said, a higher operative mortality. And it's interesting in this context that the Society for Vascular Surgery in the United States, also in their guidelines, supports intervention in women from five centimetres. But nevertheless, this guideline is based on weak evidence, as is the NICE guideline as it applies to women. Although the final version of NICE is more comprehensive than the first draft in terms of allowing EBAR, they still strongly advocate the use of open repair for elective treatment of AAA. 
and they reserve EVAR for patients with additional risk factors, such as hostile abdomens, horseshoe kidneys, or stomas. This is probably one of the most controversial differences between both guidelines. Could you explain the different outcomes that they evaluated to try and clarify the disparity between these two recommendations? The NICE Guidelines Committee considered that the most important outcome, long-term mortality, and they considered the costs and perspectives over the entire life patient. And as you know, under pressure, NICE reconsidered its guidelines and did at some of the more recent evidence beyond the randomised trials evidence from registries and other sources to suggest that results from EVAR were improving. Nevertheless, NICE considered that the relative differences between open and vascular repair were no different now to the time of the randomised trials. That is, the results of open repair had also perhaps improved. And hence, they made their recommendation, again focusing on the health economic perspective, what should be prioritised as cost-effective healthcare in the UK, that open repair would be preferred. In contrast, the ESVS guidelines focus on clinical effectiveness and valued much more highly the short-term gains of EVA compared with open repair. The shorter hospital stays, less likely to enter intensive care units, and better short-term survival. The ESVS guidelines looked at this evidence and coupled this with the belief that with experience, improved devices and selective surveillance would help the health economic perspective. They thought that EVA in the future would produce better long-term results than open repair, and they recommend endovascular repair as the first-line treatment. Let's uh, move on to treatment of ruptured aneurysms. The IMPROVE trial, which you have been very closely involved with, reported a clear benefit in mid to long-term survival rates of EVAR versus open repair in management of ruptured AAA and was probably one of the fundamental studies on which the ESVS recommendations favouring EVAR over open repair for ruptured AAA management was based on. However, the NICE guidelines present a sub-analysis suggesting that open repair is likely to provide a better balance of benefits and harms in patients under the age of 70. Why is this? This is really very particularly puzzling to us. The recommendation is actually under 71 and for men only. And out of the 613 patients enrolled in the IMPROVE trial, there were just 136 men under the age of 71. And they've taken the data we provided them with and remodelled this to suggest that in those patients, open repair would be the cost-effective way forward. But their reasoning is not public and we do not know how they came up with this recommendation. It seems to be based on a very small cohort that wasn't randomised by age. There was no stratification by age in the improved trial. So, an enigma. The guidelines also diverge regarding elective repair of complex or juxtarenal AAAs, beginning from their definition and ending in their treatment recommendations. NICE makes a weak recommendation only to use EVAR as part of research or audit to determine clinical and cost effectiveness. Could you elaborate a bit on the differences in these recommendations? Yes, let's go back to the differences in methodology between NICE and ESVF. NICE are much more rigorous about the quality of the evidence they use. They grade every single study. They actually pull it apart. Was it a good randomised trial or a poor randomised trial? 
very particular about what evidence they use and what they don't. And they included all treatments that might be used, whether it was fever, fever, or anything else, except they didn't consider endovascular sealing. Whereas in contrast, as you said, SVS described this differently and they only looked at the case of juxtarenal aneurysms and considered iliac aneurysms separately, whereas NICE considered iliac aneurysms in the presence of an abdominal aortic aneurysm as a complex repair. So very different definitions. Then the NICE committee again wanted to look at the health economic perspectives. And obviously there's almost no data for complex repairs. So they used data from infrarenal repairs and tried to apply it onto the, to the limited data they had about complex repairs. In contrast, ESVS did not consider costs. And ESVS had on their committee experts in contemporary techniques than did the NICE committee, where in fact there was no one who was really a practitioner of advancing endovascular techniques. So they would also be aware of unpublished evidence. And I think very reasonably, whilst recognising a continued role for open repair, they favoured FIVAR as a preferred treatment for complex or juxtarenal aneurysms. But in addition, this should be conducted in a centre, a specialist centre, with a high volume of these repairs. An issue which the NICE guidelines did not consider at all. So here, the ESVS guidelines are much more practical. An important addition to the last version of the NICE guidelines was the inclusion of patient preference. Similarly, the ESVS AAA guidelines were one of the first ESVS guidelines to include patient preference as part of their recommendations. In your opinion, how much weight should be given to patient preference regarding the choice between EVAR and open surgery? Well, in my opinion, clinicians are there to serve their patients in a close collaboration in order to get the best results. Therefore, shared decision-making is essential, and we need to report the outcomes that are really important to patients. When you look at the literature about aneurysm repair, it's full of data about complications and how much they were transfused. But actually, these matters may not be as important to patients who might be more concerned about getting back home, about not losing their quality of life, perhaps seeing their grandchildren again, many different issues which are important to them. So I think it's crucial. Finally, even though the current pandemic has shifted away some of the attention, publication of the final NICE guidelines has been highly anticipated within the vascular community, given the unexpected recommendations favoring open repair. Having lived through all the controversy, in your opinion, what are the key messages we should take from this experience? And do you think there is a greater need for collaboration between different vascular bodies? Well, I think the first message is to put patients first. And I think we have to demand higher standards from current registries, more patient-reported outcomes in these registries. And I think we all need to recognise that particularly in the post-COVID-19 area, we're likely to have to consider cost containment more seriously than we have done previously. And I think it's this issue of cost containment, which is why the NICE guidelines are so widely anticipated, because they add this perspective to it or focus to it and are not present in the clinician-led but let's go back to it and let's put patients first and patients centre stage. 
Well, thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to host such an expert in this field. And it has been a great pleasure having you with us here today. Thank you very much indeed. Here with us today is Jonathan Boyle. He is an associate lecturer at the University of Cambridge and works as a consultant vascular surgeon at Adam Brooks Hospital. He has over 200 publications and is one of the associate editors of the European journal Vascular and Endovascular Surgery. He is the current chair of the Audit and Quality Improvement Committee and vice president-elect of the Vascular Society of Great Britain and Ireland and has contributed significantly to vascular training as chair of the Vascular SAC, president of BSET, AS and FRCS examiner, as well as part of the ESVS Academy Committee. Thank you very much for joining us here today, Dr. Boyle. Thank you. The main scope of this interview is the recent editorial titled Nice Abdominal Aortic Aneurysm Guidelines Finally Published. How will they influence aortic practice in the UK and beyond? authored by Ian Loftus, Stephen Halong, and Jonathan Boyle. After much controversy surrounding the publication in 2018 of the NICE draft guidelines, the vascular community has been anxiously expecting their final version, made public on March 19, 2020. In broad terms, how has the reception of this much-awaited final edition been in the UK? So I think, on the whole, the guidance has been embraced by vascular surgeons in the UK, Obviously, there were some concerns regarding the draft guidance, but the Vascular Society has embraced them and we are planning to work with NICE on implementing the guidance as they now stand. An interim of two years has passed between the two versions. Could you explain the fundamental differences regarding specific recommendations between the draft 2018 and the final NICE 2020 publication? So the main differences are regarding the treatment of asymptomatic unruptured aneurysms. The draft guidance recommended that EVAR should not be considered, and that was what raised a lot of concerns after they were published. Uh, there was also some concerns around the use of complex EVAR, where it was recommended it was only used as part of a randomised control trial. The main changes with the final publication is that we can consider using EVAR, particularly in patients who have anaesthetic risk or significant medical comorbidity, and also in patients who have hostile abdomens. And so it's enabled EVAR to be considered for treating this patient group when draft guidance clearly said that it shouldn't be used. Some authors have suggested that these changes are enough to be considered a U-turn of the NICE guidelines. In your opinion, is the disparity between the draft and the final version enough to be classified as a U-turn? I don't think it should be classified as a U-turn, no. I think NICE listened to lots of stakeholders, in particular patients, over the two years and modified the guidance as a result of considerable input from numerous stakeholders, but in particular patients who are very keen that they were able to uh, have some informed choice in the management of their aneurysms. Regarding their implementation in the UK, you refer that some changes have already been observed in AAA management over the last two years. Could you expand on these changes? Draft guidance came out in uh, May of 2018, and we tend to record practice within the National Vascular Registry. So there was some influence on the management of aortic aneurysms in 2018, but probably only influenced the second half of that year. When you look at the figures from uh, 2018, the number of EVARs in terms of proportion dropped from about 68% in the previous year to 63%, so a 5% drop. 
and the overall numbers of endovascular repairs performed also dropped by about 500. So there was certainly some influence. That change in practice has been continued. So I've seen some early results for 2019, and it would tend to suggest that uh, there's been a continuation in that trend with a further reduction in the number of EVARs in terms of proportion and a rise in the open repairs. So the proportions look around 60-40 now. Considering the more comprehensive acceptance of EVAR in the final publication, do you think this trend will continue for the coming years, not only for standard AAA, but also for complex AAA repair? I think probably we've almost reached a level state now in the UK. I think clinicians were aware of the draft guidance and they moved away from EVAR, particularly outside instructions for use. I think there was a move to more open repair. But I think the other thing we've noticed is probably a reduction in the treatment of patients towards the latter end of their lives. So elderly, frail patients with a short life expectancy. And I think some of those who were previously undergoing EVAR are now having no intervention for their aneurysms and being managed conservatively. So I think that yeah, there's undoubtedly been uh, some change in practice. I think probably we're at a relatively steady state, although I won't know that for sure for another year or two. How important might these guidelines be in leading way to an increase in centralisation and creation of specific aortic centres? And considering your role in different educational bodies, how do you think this might impact vascular surgical training? So I think the UK's had a significant uh, reconfiguration of vascular services over the last uh, 10 years. And so centralisation of services has already happened to a large extent. I think this will continue, but there is a reasonably uh, stable centralised service. I think there may well be some further centralisation of complex aortic work, particularly open complex aortic work into fewer units. And that's planned. And so that may well happen. In terms of training, I think one of the issues with training in the last 10 years is that it's been difficult for trainees to get access to a large number of open aneurysm repairs to train on. I suspect probably this is going to be good for training in the fact that trainees will have more open aneurysm cases potentially available to train on. Most of our trainees in the UK for the last 10 years have been very proficient on endovascular repair relatively early in their training. So there's not been an issue with endovascular training and I think even if the numbers of endovascular repairs fall slightly, that shouldn't impact too much on people's endovascular experience. So good for training, I think. What about their application in the rest of Europe? Do you think these guidelines could potentially turn the tide in favour of open repair, at least in fit and young patients on a global scale? I think it's unlikely to have a huge impact in Europe, partly because the SVS has its own guidance, which suggests using EVAR in asymptomatic aneurysms. I suspect it will support some of the countries that have high open repair rates, for example, Denmark and Hungary, where significant numbers of the aneurysms, more than half, get done by open surgical techniques. And that may well support the continuation of that practice in those countries. I certainly don't think the NICE guidance will have the same impact in Europe as it will have in the UK. An important addition to the final version of NICE has been the inclusion of patient preference. How important do you believe this to be and how much weight should physicians offer to patient preference when deciding the best treatment for elective AAA? So I think it's vital and I think this is one of the main things that vascular surgeons in the UK were concerned about. The draft NICE guidance didn't really take any patient views into consideration and vascular surgeons see patients in clinic all the time and when you have a discussion with them about the management of their aneurysm, lots of patients will prefer to have a low-risk initial procedure 
accepting the fact that there may be a higher chance of reintervention, and that's not surprising really. So I think as long as you properly inform patients of their options, I think patients who've got good anatomy for EVAR will still choose EVAR over open repair, and I think it's important in that setting that we are allowed to offer them EVAR if that's their preference. Finally, in your opinion, what are the key take-home messages from the NICE guidelines, not only for physicians in the UK, but for physicians across the world? Firstly, I think it's important we recognise that we were probably treating potentially too many aneurysms before in frail elderly people, potentially outside instructions for use. And I think certainly treating people with a limited life expectancy is probably not in their best interests. I think there will be a move, certainly in the UK, to treat patients on IFU as much as possible when considering endovascular repairs. I think there will be less uh, off instructions for use EVAR. I think we will see an increase in complex EVAR. We've certainly seen that over the last few years. So the number of complex EVARs has risen by about 50% in the UK from 2015 to 2018. I think there's a lot of concern around the draft guidance in that it's very unlikely it'd ever be a randomised controlled trial comparing complex EVAR and open repair and therefore draft guidance would have probably stopped complex EVAR in the UK completely. The final guidance will allow us to continue to uh, perform complex EVAR but with close audit and submission of the patient data to the National Vascular Registry but also submitting patient data to the large UK Compass trial which is a trial specifically focused on complex endovascular repair. Well thank you very much for sharing your expertise with the vascular foreign community. It has been a great pleasure having you with us here today. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.